good to be together. It's good to uh, remember what God has done, and that is what that psalm was all about, just praising God for his wonderful works. And we know he's faithful, and uh, we're going to just continue to worship him together. So let's begin with, uh, with prayer and then look into his word. Father, we come before you as we prepare our hearts to study your word, and we, um, we're sorry. We have to confess that we've been overwhelmed by hearing about all you've done and by seeing all that you've done even in our own lives and it has somehow become commonplace to us, your graciousness, your love, your mercy. And we don't want that. We want to be lifted above uh, just looking at things uh, from the uh, skeptical way that the world normally looks at things. We don't want to be... uh, found among the scoffers who just say life happens by chance and it's all a matter of luck. We want to remember, Lord, that it is you who is sovereign over everything. It is you who have been working down throughout history to bless people, to show your love to people in marvelous ways. And even though some of those are in the historic, the far past, We believe them to be true, even as we see your faithfulness in our lives today, even as we cry out to you for different reasons and and then find you faithful, Lord, help us to be thankful people. Help us to thank you and, and that those works might be solidified in our hearts and minds as your hand, your gracious hand reaching into our lives. So... As we look into your word um, today and as we consider what you did when you came into this world, how you came into this world, how you prepared this world even for your coming, I ask that you would help us to just have hearts full of worship, full of worship to you, and that your name would be glorified as we have gathered here together this morning. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So we come to that time of year again. Here we are uh, taking time to celebrate Jesus Christ coming into the world. Advent begins this Sunday um, on the church calendar. But we're not doing it simply because we, we like Christmas time. We like the, the Christmas songs. We like presents. Um, We're not doing this because it's a non-threatening Christmas Christian holiday that everybody wants to get in on. So, you know, let's sit on this for a while. But we're celebrating Christmas because his coming, his coming into the world was a necessary first step for everything that God was to accomplish here in this world. Advent means arrival and this was God's humble sacrificial entrance into the world he came in human flesh we remember that word incarnation carne which means flesh or meat he clothed himself in our body to come into the world and this set the stage for the pinnacle event of his earthly ministry which of course was 
just before his departure. It was the cross where he died, was buried, and then rose again. He rose again. And you know, we understand that there have been, well, everybody, everybody who's gone before us has died, died in this world. And then there were thousands over the years who died heroically in some way. We just came through uh, Remembrance Day ceremonies and we remember those who died sacrificially for others. What makes his coming different? What's, what makes what he did, his sacrificial death and resurrection, what makes it different? And it was his identity. And of course, I've already given the most important piece of that away, a piece of information, just the idea that he is the son of God. He was God. More so than anybody else can claim to be a son of God because it talks in the scriptures about us being the sons of God created by him. Jesus was the son of God, um, the only begotten son of God, which means the unique son of God. Like nobody else, he was the son of God. He was one of the three parts of the Trinity, the way God expresses himself in existence. God the Father, and God the Son who took on human flesh, and then God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so we understand that as he came into the world, his sacrificial death, his heroic death for others was something completely different was for us. And we understand that as he rose again, the Son of God was getting a seal of proof put on his pedigree as the Son of God. He, nobody else was able to raise themselves again from the dead. And it was also proof of what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Salvation for the world. But as we come into this, we ask the question, who is he to us? We, we, we know he was the son of God, but we wonder, what does that mean for us? And God communicates that in different ways through the scriptures. And this idea of studying his identity came to my mind. And I started thinking about, well, how? How are we going to approach this? And I thought of that very common verse that we hear sung in songs. We see it on Christmas cards and plaques. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we're going to be taking a look at those, those four titles over the next four weeks and considering, considering what they communicate to us as far as the identity of Jesus Christ and who he is, what impact that makes on our lives. And of course, that verse found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, was you know, one of those prophecies that is veiled in a bit of mystery. The people of that time they heard that prophecy and they didn't understand how it was going to be 
fulfilled completely. They heard it, they're scratching their heads, they're wondering about it. And of course us, as we look back at that prophecy, as we look back at how it was given in that day, we don't understand completely how it was fulfilled in that day. And neither they nor us understand all the details about how this prophecy about this child that was born for us, that would be all of these things, how it will be fulfilled completely in the future. And so this is the way prophecies come to us. They come, God speaks, (laughs) excuse me, um, and there's a bit of mystery always surrounding them. And there's usually an immediate fulfillment And then there could be several other fulfillments down through history where more details are added or more details are fulfilled of the original prophecy until one day it's wrapped up in a complete and final fulfillment. And then we'll be able to go, ah, that's what God meant, completely. But in the meantime, it's, it's our opportunity to study this, to consider this, and to understand more of what this communicates to us. And I was reminded of a statement they always make in these, you hear them on the news, they say, this is a fluid investigation, right? You know what they mean? This is an ongoing thing. We're still receiving data. And with this prophecy thing, that's what it is for us. It's a fluid investigation. So we don't have to think, oh yeah, that was something written a whole long time ago. We don't have to worry. It's not very exciting. Everybody knows that verse. Everybody knows what's said there. Like I said, we're inundated with this, this one verse, Isaiah 9, 6. But there's more to be learned. There's more for us to capture in this. There's more for us to understand, not just about the historical past, but how it applies to us today. So I hope, I hope that you get caught up in this a little bit with me, because I've been surprisingly excited about this study over the past week. Um, Not that I don't get excited when I'm studying the Bible, I'm not interested in it, but it was sort of like, oh wow, this is great, because you know, every year we come around to Christmas time, and, and I'm expected to find some new angle on this, and it wasn't just a new angle, it was just probing a little deeper. And going, oh, okay, this is what was going on, or this is what's going on. And so we definitely have an advantage as we study these prophecies over those who were given the prophecy in that time. We sometimes go, well, they heard from the Lord. The Lord spoke to them directly. But at our place in the historical timeline, we need to understand we have an advantage. You remember what it says in Hebrews 1.1? How it says, in time past, God spoke through the prophets to the people. But now, but now he's spoken through his son. And the whole first part of of Hebrews is all about how Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is better than, than the old sacrificial system. Than just having a priesthood or the prophets or angels or whatever. And so we understand we have an advantage. We get to Hebrews 11 where it goes through the hall of faith, hall of fame of faith, and all those people before, and it says they died without receiving the promise. 
And we think, what a ripoff for them. God promised them the Messiah was coming, and oh, a lot of them died centuries and centuries before it was ever fulfilled. But there were little fulfillments along the way, weren't there? And the key ingredient was that they had real faith. God had given them real faith. faith. And you think, we do have an advantage in terms of where we are and what we know. But you know, we should rather be willing to give up a whole big chunk of what we know for real faith. What am I saying? I'm saying I would rather live way back then when we didn't get or didn't have as much of the fulfillment and have real faith than live in this time today with all we know without real faith. Without a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what it's all about. It's not about, you know, having all the answers for the Bible quiz, is it? Oh, I know. You know, it's, it's about walking with the Lord. And so, yes, we have the advantage in terms of knowledge, but those people had real faith as we can have real faith in this day. It's all about knowing them. And, you know, go back to Philippians chapter 3, where Paul, you know, talks about all that he was in terms of a Pharisee and his knowledge and how righteous he was. And then he says in 3.10, that I should know him and the power of his resurrection through the fellowship of sufferings. And I was talking with Mark Watson yesterday. I don't know why, but this is how we connect with the Lord more deeply than ever through suffering. Because he suffered. Because that was his ministry in the world. That was who he was. He was a man of sorrows. He came as a sacrifice. None of us like to suffer. Oh, I want pain. I want sorrow. But I tell you, when we go through those times as a believer living in faith, our relationship moves to a new level moves deeper we draw closer to the lord it's hard but that's the most important thing and we should say i would prefer to suffer and know christ more than to avoid all suffering and just have a superficial relationship a superficial knowledge of who he is not that knowledge is not important but the priority is to know him personally, to live in relationship with him. And so we go, who was he? And who is he to us today? And in this verse that was given hundreds of years ago, 800 years before Christ came, we get these titles, and we want to deal with this first one. He was a wonderful Counselor. And we go, what does that mean? <laughs> it's a wonderful counselor. And we think of a camp counselor, you know, a guidance counselor in school, 
someone who comes along. You know, we, can, we can have a very light understanding of what that all is, but we understand it was something great simply by the adjective that was used. He was a wonderful counselor. And I have a friend, he says wonderful all the time. We overuse adjectives, don't they? And, and they lose their meaning. And the thing is, too, he says it with his southern drawl. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful, he says. Wonderful. You always, everything's wonderful. And what do we mean when we say that? It means, oh, that's good. That's great. But that's not what this word means. This word means incomprehensible. You think of it, the word wonder is like jaw-dropping, wonder. You, you just like go, nothing. <laughs> you'd, you'd say, oh my goodness, if you could, but you can't because you're in wonder about what is taking place. And that's what's being communicated here. He was a wonderful counselor, incomprehensible. Well, what, what about that word counselor? You know, it's used in so many different ways. There are so many, and I was just thinking of it as I was meditating on this this week. You know, we hear of politicians called counselor, right? Oh, counselor, you know, and they're the they're ones who are, are supposed to be in different situations giving, giving good counsel, good advice. They understand what's going on, we hope, we wish, and, and they're making good decisions. Counselors in that politician, governmental area. And then we hear people called counselor in the courtroom. I, I heard an interview just this week. And it was one of the lawyers in one of the big cases that's going on. And the guy who's interviewing him says, counselor, what do you think? And it was, he was a lawyer, right? And he's called a counselor. Why? He's giving legal advice. He's giving direction in, the, in this area, the courts. So he's counselor. And then we think of that idea of counseling, you know, where you're lying on a couch and, and someone's writing in a pad and hearing all you've got to say and they're giving you personal life advice that you'll probably discard once you walk out of the office. You won't apply it to your life, you know. And so we think counselor, that covers a large span in terms of meaning, definition, our understanding. We're going to look into what that means when we're talking about Jesus Christ. And we're going to understand how he was a wonderful counselor. Another verse I remember reading uh, in Judges thirteen eighteen, Samson's father, Manoah, when... The Lord came. It says the Lord came to him. The messenger of the Lord. It was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Talked with Manoah. Said you're going to have a special son. And, and Manoah says. What's your name? And he says something like. Should I tell you my name? Because it's too wonderful. Beyond your comprehension. Why would I bother telling you? You won't believe it. You won't be able to get your mind wrapped around it. So we're going to be looking at how Jesus Christ is a wonderful, a wonderful counselor. And the first title I've given is the child is a sign in the past of God-given leadership. That political area, 
that political area of being a counselor, someone who knows what's going on. You know, we read (coughs) this verse, we pull it out of context, we go, this is a great Christmas prophecy, this is a great Christmas verse, but what's going on in the chapters around this verse, here in the prophecies of Isaiah? Well, we understand there's a dark time. It says in chapter, or chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. And we, we read back a little further and we find out what's going on. And it's, it's a horrible situation. It's a difficult situation. Ahaz is the king. Ahaz has sold out on God. He's the king of the people of God and he doesn't trust in their God. And there's Assyria. Powerful nation at the time. That is threatened to come down on Israel and Judah because they're the divided kingdom at that time. And he is going to take over. He's going to come down and he's going to squash them. And Israel, what they do is they go, the, the northern kingdoms, they go, well, we're going to link up with Syria to fight Assyria. So what about Judah? What about Ahaz? Ahaz, he has a better idea. I'm going to give Assyria money. I'm going to take and, and, and recycle some of the temple items and and ship that money off and I'm going to pay them off and be a part of them. And he's allowed other systems of worship to come in. He's defiled things and, and he's off track. So what we have is one of these worst case scenarios. We've got a big problem and a man in charge who can't handle that big problem. And you're going, I know that situation. Are we living in that situation today? Sometimes we go, ah, yeah, this is what's happening. Seems like our problems are growing and our ability, the ability of our leaders to handle those problems correctly, to see what is the issue and how, what steps should we take to approach the issue. It just seems like they're going in opposite directions. Problems getting worse and the ability, our ability to handle those problems. Is getting worse. And it's not so much here intelligence. It's more a matter of trust. Who Ahaz is not trusting in. And you know it's amazing. Like I say he's the, the leader of the people of God. He's these prophets. Who are giving him God's word. But you know God's gracious. God is gracious beyond what we deserve, always, like way beyond. And so God says to Ahaz, I can help. And just to prove to you that I can help, I'll give you a sign. And so just back a chapter or two in Isaiah 7, verse 10, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, as hell, or as high as heaven. Whatever you want. You give me a sign and I will will 
fulfill that sign, and you'll know you can trust in me. Something concrete, something that you can see, something you can sink your teeth in, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll give you the sign, and then you'll know. We can trust God as we face the Assyrians. But Ahaz said, verse 12, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now we know in the scriptures it says, don't put the Lord God, your God, to the test. It says that. But you know, when you're off track, you can take the right things of the word of God. When you're not walking in relationship with the Lord, we, you will take right things and apply them at the wrong time and in the wrong way. It says in the Bible, don't put God to the test. But when God comes to you and says, ask me for a sign, you listen to him. <laughs> now, I'm not saying he's going to be doing that with us, but here he did it with Ahaz. And he says, King Ahaz, king of my people, ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign. And, and Ahaz, well, no, I, I couldn't ask of that. I'm, you know, he's all of a sudden getting really self-righteous. And the Lord says, okay. I'm going to give you a sign anyways. Therefore, the Lord himself. Oh, first of all, we better read 13. And he said, God said, hear then, O house of David. Because Ahaz is a descendant of David, the throne of David. Is it too little for you to be wearying men with your foolishness? That you're wearying my God also? Chapter 7, 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's how that verse fits in to the story. God says, you're not going to ask for a sign. I'm going to tell you this is what the sign will be. There's going to be a young lady who's a virgin who's going to have a baby now, in this case, in this situation, at this time of the fulfillment, it wasn't a miraculous birth. I don't believe it was a miraculous birth. Because, you know, we have all sorts of miraculous births in the scripture, don't we? Children born to people who are too old, to people who have had, well, a, the woman had a closed womb, and God has moved and and moved in a miraculous way to produce a child, and it always says it. It always lays it out. This is what God did. This is the miracle of the birth, and God did it for a sign. But in this case, I don't believe it was a miraculous thing. Just a young girl who's a virgin is going to have a child, and that child is going to be a child that is Emmanuel. Through that child, you'll see God is with you. Funny thing. Ahaz got married very young. He had a very young wife. And they had a child. And that child's name was Hezekiah. Most of the scholars believe this is how that prophecy was fulfilled in this first instance because, you know, if you remember, Hezekiah was a king that grew up 
And miracle of miracles, with a father like Ahaz, he was the direct opposite. He restored proper, Israel, or proper worship in Israel or in Judah. He turned the nation around and he faced down Assyria. He didn't have any stronger army. He was not in any better position. In fact, he was in a worse position because Assyria was there laying siege. And with God beside him, with God with him, in proper relationship with God, he was the guy who was the king, the representative of God. And he stared down, face down, Israel's enemies, and he was the child. He was the wonderful counselor. He was the wonderful counselor at that time. Who was the definition of great political wisdom and leadership. Everything that the people could have wanted at that moment in time. In that time of great need. So we go... What does that mean to us? Can we trust in God's leadership at a time like this? A time of gloom and darkness and hopelessness? Second title, the child is the solution in the present He's the solution for God-given liberty. We move forward 800 years. The historic now, we're in this sort of section at the tail end of this section, 800 years. And Israel is in the middle of the same sort of situation, aren't they? They're under Roman oppression. It's a time of darkness, a time of gloom, a time when you walk into town, it's not an odd thing to see people hanging on the cross because they've been judged, juried, and execution right there. That was first century Judea. The people had changed. I mean, it was 800 years later. People had died, gone, several generations. The major players had changed. The leaders and the national power that was threatening Judea, that had cha- Judea had changed. But there was the same gloomy hopelessness, the same insufficient leadership. There's a half Jew, Jewish leader named Herod, who at this time doesn't just ignore the prophecy about the child, like Ahaz did. But this time, when he heard the prophecy, He was afraid of its fulfillment and he said, I'm going to kill the child. Going to take take care of him, wipe him out. I don't want any part of this. An ignorant leader who doesn't understand God's plan. And the people of that time, where would they have turned? What would they have done? I mean, they were definitely a beaten people. 
bad time and nobody to lead them through it. You can imagine the confusion. When we begin to think about this, there is this, this constant as we go through human history. You know, there are times where we have better leadership than other times. But we seem to always get back to this place where there's leadership that can't be trusted, leadership that doesn't understand what's going on, leadership that doesn't know what to base their decisions on. And it all has to do with a departure from God and a focus on themselves. They're not in it to serve the people. And the idea is to serve themselves. But you know, God in his mercy still works and seems to work more in these times of great need. He'll be with his people. And so in that time, first century Judea, God sent the child. And this time, it was a completely miraculous birth. It wasn't just this, oh, a couple who is younger, or a couple who are older, or a couple who shouldn't be having kids, or haven't been able to have kids. This time, it was the Spirit of God who produced the child in the virgin. And we get the full reveal of who this prophecy is all about. This is the one. The one that the world has been waiting for since Eve was told it's through your seed that Satan's head will be crushed, that sin will be taken care of. And she was thinking at that time, is it Seth? Is it Seth? He was a godly kid, but, and he was a, a fulfillment of that in partially. But this was it here. This was the fulfillment. It was Jesus Christ. He was the Messiah that they were waiting for, the solution to sin that they considered every time they offered a sacrifice. He was the messianic leader that they longed for since David was told, you will have an eternal throne. Is David the one? He's gone. Is it the next king? Is it the next king? No. It's this king. It's this child. But in Galatians chapter 4, Verse 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Not only is our wonderful counselor the definition of a great of great political a great a great political leader of wisdom of wisdom and leadership. Our wonderful counselor is the consummate legal representative, isn't he? 
not simply arguing on our behalf, but he received our deserved punishment and he wiped our debt clean. Is that a wonderful counselor? Imagine if we had lawyers like that today. How much people would pay to have a lawyer when you're guilty. When you are under the law and when you are going to be judged as guilty and you know it and everybody else knows it. You go to this special lawyer. He says, I'll take care of things. He's not going to try and make up some legal loophole, try to skirt judgment or I'll get you a lesser sentence. But he says, no, I'll, I'll take the punishment. Your debt will be wiped clean. You'll be free. What a counselor. You'd have an open mouth if there was a lawyer who did that, wouldn't you? I'd be a wonderful counselor. And so, here we live in the the afterglow of this historical present. We're on the tail end of that, Jesus coming into the world. 2,000 years later, we're still going, wow, this is it. He was the one. It was Jesus Christ who was the Messiah, who was the Son of God. He was the solution to our debt of sin. We understand that because of the biblical confirmed knowledge that we have But here we stand, we're also a precursor to the future fulfillment, aren't we? We're sort of in between these two fulfillments and even as we look back and go, wow, that's great. We look forward and we go, but what does that mean for the future? How exactly is this going to be wrapped up, this prophecy about the child? We know that Jesus Christ was everything That this verse says he was in terms of these titles. But how does that play out in the final part of the story? As I was thinking about this next step, I was thinking, you know, here we have the child ending up being the sovereign who comes back. And we could say, yeah, this is how he's the wonderful counselor. This is what he fulfills at the end when he rides in on his horse and... He says, this is how it is, finally and fully. Justice has come. In Revelation Revelation 22, 15, it says, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. God's going to set the record straight. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the child who's grown, who is no longer the lamb. Well, he's still the lamb, but he's the lion. But that's still like, that's future. And how do we know? And how do we believe? And how can we live in hope and in faith in this final fulfillment of this great prophecy, Jesus Christ, the wonderful counselor? And I thought the child is the seal for the future God-given life. 
You see, we can look back and we can see in Jesus Christ's life, we can see how he was a wonderful counselor as he grew. Even he, he made it to 12 years old, right? And what was he doing? He was sitting in the temple asking questions, giving answers, and the leaders were sitting around amazed at this child, that wonder, mouth open. How does this kid know this stuff? And we think about how Jesus grew and he, he, he entered into ministry and he gave that incredible sermon on the mount. Lays everything out and people are amazed. People are still amazed at that sermon. We think about his, his teaching, the parables. We think about his discipleship, how he leads and mentors. We think about all that history, but how does it become real to us here and now that he is the wonderful counselor. We look ahead to the future fulfillment. We look back to the historical Jesus. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said this. Well, actually to lead into that, let's go back to Galatians 4, the very next verse. After, after it says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. It says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. We think of this child who was born, who would be the consummate leader politically, who would be the most incredible legal representative, saving us from our sin for eternity. And then we think about him in that sense of being a personal advisor this child was the seal the seal of everything that God would fulfill in the end through his Messiah for us today in this moment through the spirit of his son do you remember what Jesus said Do you remember what he said in, in John chapter 14, verses 15 and 16? When his disciples were concerned about him leaving, if, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper or another counselor to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. Over in chapter 16 verses 7 and 8 it says nevertheless Jesus talked to his disciples again 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll lead. He'll guide. He'll direct. We understand that in this little title, Wonderful Counselor, this title, Astounding Advisor, how the Messiah, who came as a baby into this world, and, and you might scratch your head, how can this child be all those things? We see in the history how through Hezekiah, there was this parable, this event, this real life parable, how w- one man could be a representative of who the Holy God could be everything that we want in terms of leadership for a people, political leadership. Then we move forward to first century Judea and, and, and Jesus and we get the name and we understand more and the concept. It's not just a man who will be a king, a representative of God, but it will be God himself. And he becomes the best legal representative that anybody could ever hope for. Wiping away not just those outward crimes or the punishment for those outward crimes like in the legal system but taking away our sin even the stuff that's hidden in our hearts and giving us freedom from that sin and then we find out how we have this assurance that one day every Everything will be righted. Every wrong will be turned around and and justice will be set in order and we will receive mercy because of what we experienced in the Spirit, the Counselor. That wonderful Counselor who will lead and guide and direct us in this life. Once again, it's if we are willing to follow. And we could say, like the disciples, when Jesus says, well, are you going to go off and not follow me anymore? And they said, where would we go? Because what are our options? As we look around us in this world, we're living in a time of gloom and darkness and hopelessness. And we go, where is our salvation coming from? Is a country as a society only Jesus and the confirmation of that is his spirit in us the Holy Spirit of promise who is the counselor who is the comforter who is the helper and the one who will guide us through our personal lives advising us leading us directing us and we go what A wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor we have. Father, help us. Help us just to move a little bit further along in this this mystery of understanding who you are 
to us. Not just as a people in general down through history, although it is all that, but also help us to understand personally. Through a daily life of walking in fellowship with you. Having hearts that are not hardened, ears that are open. A willingness to hear your voice and follow your commands, follow your lead, follow your direction. And Lord, as we walk through this world, through these troubled times, through the challenges and suffering that are all a part of this life and have been and will always be, help us to understand how you, in the midst of all that, are our wonderful counselor. You will be giving us direction and leadership and help, and hope in ways that are beyond our human comprehension. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you are doing and all that you will do. Help us to understand that you are our wonderful counselor. Amen.